What does it mean to be on top of your game? How does our attitude and outlook affect our experience of the hobby? Is there anything we can do to be the best we can be? Hello, rescuers. My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. Today, I want to take a look at the stories we tell ourselves and the dialogue we have with others. I want to explore whether it's possible to overcome the general sense that I frequently have of being just a little bit crap at gaming. To help, we're going to take a dive into the psychology of experience and see how many points we can pick up. This is Series 3, Episode 12. There's a note of finality in saying that. (laughs) But we'll talk about that again later. One of the worst things I can do is watch videos on YouTube that deal with stuff like the five things you are doing wrong as a player or... The top three reasons why you're a crap GM. Much like when I try to self-diagnose an illness, I end up attributing all the worst attitudes and behaviours to myself. And I convince myself that I do not, in fact, deserve to even look at a role-playing game sideways, let alone play one or, heaven forbid, be a game master. Still, because I'm stupid, I still watch those videos. The other day I was watching one that was pretty frank, The guy talking was clearly very frustrated with the kinds of GM behaviours that he was talking about. Some of those behaviours I could sympathise with, annoying stuff that I too have experienced at the table. But there came a point where the self-diagnosis button got hit and I self-identified with a behaviour that he was talking about and I crashed emotionally. The recognition of the particular negative habit as being one that I regularly and persistently have displayed at the table, melted my soul, and left me curled up in a ball, rocking back and forth in horror. Hyperbole aside, it hit me hard. It stopped me from moving forward. I was ready to heed his advice and stop GMing. The claim that really hit me was that this behaviour was driving other people away from the hobby, and I was not only a dick gm but i was actively hurting the community of gamers this felt like crap when it comes to being a role-playing game gm i don't think i need to be reminded that i am not very good at this thing the sense that i am not good enough is something that has haunted me ever since i can remember my experience tells me that just about everyone i've ever come across except for the most arrogant of souls, has at some point expressed the sense of being an imposter, of not being good enough. We worry that someday soon, someone out there is going to figure out that we are actually not very good at this stuff, and they're going to call us on it. You know what I mean. We'll lose our job, or maybe our partner will bail on us, or our kids will realise that we're not superheroes. All the gamers at the table, they'll all desert us. Given that I have a pretty empty gaming table right now, it's easy for me to feel like the world's worst GM. And maybe I am. But that's not the point. 
Tearing yourself down is not going to do anyone any good. Worse than that, giving other people reasons to tear themselves down is, I would suggest, just putting negativity out into the universe and doing some actual psychological harm. While I have done my fair share of bitching about other people, of talking down other people, and of complaining about things, well, I'm not proud of those moments. Especially when I see the impact they have on the people they affect. And, in my experience, that negativity always ends up affecting other people. One of the great truths of life is that we cannot not affect other people, even when we do nothing. Especially, I would suggest, when we do nothing. I'd like to propose an alternative path. Instead of the path of negativity, I'd like to try the path of positivity. Being British, of course I feel an immediate need to qualify the usage of the word positivity. And this is because, being British, we consider certain brands of positivity especially the hyper-pumped and hyperbolic brands served up across the pond, we view those as being just a little bit distasteful and unpleasant. Thus, this is not a plea to enter happy clappy land, or to wear rose-tinted glasses, or to try and ignore the general crappiness of the wider world. No, certainly not. So, Spencer, put down the phone. Don't call in just yet. Hailing, as I do, from arguably the most miserable country on the planet, despite being one of the richest countries on the planet, coming as I do from Britain, I can say very clearly that I wish we'd learn to be a bit more positive. Let's walk the Via Positiva, ladies and gentlemen. So what do I mean? In September of last year, I was lucky enough to be introduced to two very positive and very funny gentlemen. They were speakers who had been hired to talk to the entire faculty at my school, and we were cynically ready to receive yet another positivity boost from yet another set of hack motivational speakers. For me, this proved to be a very wrong set of expectations. The first guy made me sit up, pay attention, and think about my attitude. The second guy made me nearly wet myself with laughter, something that is hard to resist when his talk was more than an hour long and a laugh about every ten seconds. Seriously, I was blown away. I was amused and made to think hard. What was amazing to me was sitting next to a colleague who sat, po-faced and unsmiling, through the whole thing. In fact, she was not alone. There were several colleagues who, afterwards, bemoaned the facile and pointless talks and recounted how offensive these two guys were. The whole experience made me want to find out more. Ironically, one of the points that had been repeatedly made in those talks was that there are some people who just don't see the funny side of stuff. Anyway. The first speaker was a guy called Steve Robinson. The second was a guy who lives just up the road from me in Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, a chap called Andy Whitaker. Both were awesome fun to listen to. Steve Robinson, and I quote, 
came from a poor background and dealt with bullying throughout his educational life. But after a tragic motocross accident at the age of 18 that resulted in him losing his right arm, he made an astounding positive change, proving to everyone and himself that you are capable of overcoming obstacles and building your own future. End quote. In short, Steve lost his arm in a crash. He now flies planes and wins awards in dressage events as a horse rider. He is a man who has learned to conquer his fears and limitations. Listening to him was a wake-up call. It made me think about the self-limiting beliefs that I carry around every day. Andy Whitaker works for a team called Art of Brilliance. He works alongside a team that includes the prolific author of children's hero, Spy Dog, Andy Cope. Together, this team promotes the science of positive psychology. After being made to laugh non-stop for almost an hour and a half while at work, I was intrigued by Andy Whitaker's brand of psychology. He reminded me of three useful facts. First, that the average human lifespan is around about 4,000 weeks. Two, that Mondays are one of seven days that objectively are the same. That Monday feeling is a thing that I myself bring to Mondays. We all do. It's an attitude. And Mondays, ladies and gentlemen, are one-seventh of our lives. And third, he reminded me that in Britain today, we are giving out about 75 million prescriptions for antidepressants to a population of about 67 million people. The next day, I bought Andy and Andy's book, The Art of Being Brilliant, and it transformed how I looked at my life. It made me want to be a two percenter. Positive psychology as a field has existed formally since the late 1980s. Dr. Martin Seligman's book, Authentic Happiness, that gave the field a bit of a boost in 2003. But truthfully, people have been talking about happiness and positivity since, well, a long while. Confucius and Plato both had stuff to say about happiness and positivity. Buddha, too. More recently, you could list Carl Rogers, Richard Bandura... Howard Gardner and Abe Maslow. But positive psychology is a little different. Psychology generally follows a disease model. If there was a scale from plus 10, very well, down to minus 10, very unwell, the job of psychologists has been to get people from, say, minus 7 on that scale up to zero. They are no longer ill. Job done. Except, of course, that it isn't job done. Being not unwell is not the same as being well or even very well indeed. There is a big difference between being alive and actually living. To quote Andy and Andy, quote, Positive psychology is about getting to plus eight or plus nine. The best word I can find to describe this is flourishing. And it's firmly established at the living end of the spectrum, end quote. In short... Andy Cope and Andy Whittaker reveal that about 2% of the population consistently live in this state of flourishing. Mr Cope did a PhD to study why. What makes these people different to the rest of us? He thought this was important because of some of the interesting data coming out of business. 
Jessica Price-Jones, for example, published the following facts in 2010 about happy people. She wrote that they get promoted faster. They have 180% more energy. They are 108% more engaged in their job. They achieve more. They are 40% more confident. They give better customer service. And they are more creative. I honestly read stats like that with a sceptical, cockeyed look. But honestly, let's just take it as a given that these two percenters are the kind of people that other people want to be around. You'd hire those kinds of people, wouldn't you? But it's even more important than the business stats. Happy people live longer. They have fewer ailments. They are more altruistic. They have more friends. They make other people feel great when they are around. And on a family level, families that play together tend to stay together. Positive parents produce positive offspring. I can attest to the opposite. Anyway, let's not labour the point. It was Seligman who refocused psychological research onto what was right with people. He asked, who are these happy people? Are they different or the same as you and I? Turns out that happy people aren't super rich and they aren't nutters. They are just like you and I. And there are some secrets to how they keep flourishing. These folk are the top 2%. They are what Andy and Andy call 2%ers. They are the opposite of the bottom 2%, the mood hoovers or dementors as the chaps like to call them. The folk at the bottom actively suck the life out of others. At the top... The two percenters energise both themselves and other people. Many of us experience the top 2%, the plus 8 or plus 9 feeling of life, some of the time. Most of us hover around in the middle. In Britain, we have this down to a fine art. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad? There's a ringing endorsement on your life, I mean... It's not too bad. Compared to what exactly? I mean, I know where my meals are coming from today. I have clean water. I have clothes. I have a bed to sleep in and a house to store my crap in. I can get medical aid when I need it. Makes me laugh, it really does. But I still do it myself. Not too bad. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling. If you want to know more, go to Amazon and search for Andy Cope. Art of Being Brilliant. His book Shine is a more recent one, and that's good too. And right now I'm reading his latest, A Guide to Being an Awesome Teenager. I've read all the others. Similar message each time. Life's too short to be a mood hoover. Try being a two percenter. What's this got to do with gaming, Jay? I'm glad you asked. I want to imagine the 2% gamer, the top 2%. What would they look like? How can I work towards being more positive in my hobby? Well, first I'd suggest dealing with our negativity bias. Human beings are hardwired to notice threats, and that means we are more likely to notice when things go wrong. That's why 60% of the emotion words in English are negative. It's why some folk look out of the window on a rainy day and bemoan the weather. 
and do exactly the same on a sunny hot day too. You know it's true. We love to find the problem in everything. We never fail to find the cloud wherever we detect a silver lining. As a gamer, you are going to notice when things go wrong. That's easy. Much harder is detecting the things that go right. And because we're not expecting great things of ourselves, largely due to the story we keep telling ourselves about how crap we are, because we don't expect great things, well, we don't actually see them. It turns out that this is literally the case. We don't actually tend to notice things we're not expecting. That's a fact of human psychology. So let's make a list of the 10 things that went right at our last gaming session. Let's focus on why they went right. And let's see if we can replicate the goodness that went right. One of the great truths about the human brain is that we tend to get whatever we focus on. Thus, if we spend our time focused on how worried we are about something, we tend to grow more worried about that thing. We start being anxious about being anxious. A study in the US found that, on average, people were distracted by thoughts, most of them negative, about 47% of the time. In other words, people spend almost half their lives distracted by worries and not focused on actually living right now. Doesn't that worry you? If it does, stop it. Let's focus on 10 things we should be grateful for. Go on, think about it for a moment. Oh, wait. No, really. Think about it. What are you grateful for? Did you do it? 10 things you are grateful for. When we are more grateful, we become more happy. It's an established scientific fact. So bringing it back to gaming, what things are you grateful for at the gaming table? Who are you grateful for? And why? It's a good antidote to self-doubt. What makes for good gaming? Most people don't actually know what they want until they see it. Then they know. You know that thing? That was good. What thing? Oh, I got distracted and forgot. Here's a tip from the Angry GM, repackaged and connected to positive psychology. Have a sit-down conversation with your gaming buddies about the best moments in role-playing. I am serious. Sit and chew over those old war stories and really listen to each other. The angry GM does it to find out what people really like to get from their gaming. He uses it to look for patterns in people's preferences. But truthfully, chewing over those old stories, even if you have heard them before, is good therapy. This sets you up to replicate that kind of play. It begins a positive feedback loop that, if you focused on it as a set of positives, can spiral upwards into doing gaming like that even more often. If you listen to gaming stories, you'll notice some trends. Now, this is purely anecdotal, but I reckon that most positive gaming war stories, they're about a combination of three things. A cool character that you enjoyed playing. A cool moment in which your character did something cool in the story. And a cool scene that challenged you to think creatively. 
Mine revolve around Goril Swiftfoot and his shenanigans with the Balrog of Moria. Cool character plus cool moment plus cool challenge. What are your favourite gaming moments? When you were truly engaged and having a good time. Right then, I'm going to keep this brief and I'm going to leave it with you as a set of quick thoughts. Here are my top five tips for being a happier player. One, turn up to the game. Be committed and regular in attendance. Disasters and emergencies aside, get to the gaming table. Two, prepare for game. Come with your character and know enough about the game to play them. Make notes during play. Refresh your memory after last session by reviewing those notes you took. Three, smile. That will immediately cheer you up and it'll cheer up everyone else too. Four, share a positive from your week. Share another positive from last session, like if a player did something cool, tell them. If the GM did something you liked, tell them. Five, when you succeed at something in the game, Take the time to celebrate it. Seriously, however small. Did your thief pick the lock? Take a moment to celebrate it. Fist pump, high fives all round, smiles, cheers, yes! Big and small, notice the successes and celebrate them. Taking a deep breath, here are my top five tips for being a happier GM. One, prep for your game, but in a way that is easy. That means using good game structures. Don't prep plots, prep situations. Two, notice what your players enjoy at the table. Pay attention to when they are smiling, laughing and celebrating. Take a moment to notice it, enjoy it. Silently pat yourself on the back because you made that possible. It's not your job to make the game fun, but it is nice when you notice how you made the game and the fun possible. Three, notice the things you enjoy about the game. Whatever those things are, focus on them. Try to do more of them so that you can enjoy the game too. You're not a player, but you are a player. Play is for feeling good. Four, notice when you get into flow, the state when you are totally focused on creating and playing, and celebrate those moments. They can come during prep or during play. Oh, and they often come when you are thinking about play. Notice them cherish those moments five when someone compliments you on your game accept it notice it accept it take it at face value do more of whatever it was they complimented you on there i've said it i'm not sure how useful that is but i do know that it's more positive let's not run around looking for reasons why we are crap let's take the time to notice when things go well and when we are having fun let's finish with a story from Andy Cope. Metaphor of the day, dirty windows. A young couple moved into a swanky apartment in a new neighbourhood. They sat in their kitchen having breakfast, watching the world go by. The woman saw her neighbour pegging out the washing. That laundry's not very clean, she tuttered. She either needs a new washing machine or better washing powder. Other than crunching on his toast, her husband remained silent. His wife's comment was exactly the same the next day. And the next. 
Why on earth is that woman hanging out dirty washing? She sighed in disgust. She needs lessons in basic hygiene. And her husband crunched knowingly. On the fourth day, his wife plonked herself at the breakfast table with a gleeful smile. At last, she said, pointing at their neighbour's washing line. Her husband followed her gaze to the neatly arranged clothesline where the white sparkled and the colours shone. All of a sudden she seems to have learned to clean properly. And her husband broke his silence. I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. Roleplay Rescue has been born out of my desire to create a community of discovery in which people can feel accepted. What I mean is that I want to reach out to anyone who used to play and invite them to find a route back to the gaming table. With that in mind, I'd like to ask if you're willing to help spread the word about the show to basically anyone you know who might find it useful. Do you know any lapsed gamers? Why not share one small thing that you found useful from the show? Most people these days discover good stuff via social media. My Twitter account, for example, is like a river that brings me customised good things to discover all of the time. If you find something I've said or done useful, please, please share it with others. Let's get people back to the gaming table. Let's help them feel welcome and accepted. Game on. Today I've gone off on one about positive psychology. I've shared my own discovery of the two percenters and my determination to avoid being a mood hoover. I am not very good at it. I admit it, but I try to notice when I am. Gaming is a social hobby. We can't not have an effect on other people. That's a truth, but it doesn't have to be a problem. It's an opportunity. We can have a positive effect on other people. Focus on what's positive in your hobby. What are you grateful for? Who are you grateful for? And why not tell them? Do more of what you enjoy. Give yourself permission to change your mind in favour of what works for you. I've discovered that there were many unproductive things that I was doing in my hobby. I am working to change those, to swap them out and bring in things that are productive. I make lists of the ideas I have, lists of the things I want to create, and I need to start adding to a list of the best moments in my gaming hobby. I need to notice those moments, celebrate them and, and cherish them. I hope that you found something useful in today's episode, and if nothing else, it's helped me to focus on what's important in my own role-playing hobby. The experience that we are having together around that literal and that metaphorical table. Hey Chase, Spike P here. Free good adventure games. Loved your selection. And I think the best thing about that selection is two out of three I've got no clue about. I mean, that just goes to show you I've been playing since 81 and... Um, we're clearly on some different paths. However, our paths do align when it comes to old school essentials. I also went for the black box. I couldn't resist the idea of a little box set with a 
tidy set of um, hardback books in it, especially with the promise of um, an expanding collection. And you know you don't want to end up with all different sized books down the line. <laughs> How bad would that be on the shelf? Anyway, great episode. I hope this message finds you well, and I'll catch you later. Hey, Colin. Spike Pitt himself calling back in. I loved hearing from you, dude. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, diversity in gaming. I mean, you know, we've all got different backgrounds, haven't we? We've all played different stuff and tried different stuff. And, yeah, I kind of think we have to share this. I think we have to sort of dig through those piles of books or go across the shelves if you actually organise them, unlike me, um, and share those things because, you know, you don't even know that somebody out there may never have heard of a particular game. Anyway, uh, just big thanks for calling in. I really, really um, hope you're well too. I'm kind of at the end of the series, so I'm going to go silent. But, dude, please don't be a stranger. And, Colin, seriously, when are we going to get on the show? Need to get you on the show, dude. want to do an interview in Season 4. Any chance? Hey, Che, it's Dave. Just wanted you to know, obviously, I enjoyed the rolling on the random table. Would have happily heard more of that, but perhaps my interests are a little bit niche. Uh, let me know what you do with it anyway, because if you do stick it up on the Patreon page, maybe I'll have to get on there and uh, and check it out. Um, yeah, I haven't done I haven't done much of that for a little while, but this week, yeah, check out the podcast. Probably I'll put it out on Friday. I've managed to go through, yeah, a whole sort of one-page dungeon using the elegant generators from beginning to end um and it's what is it? it's wednesday today if i'm really lucky by tomorrow i will have played it as well so hopefully this week i'll have something neat and unusually complete anyway looking forward to talking to you soon che catch ya that's dave aldridge from the deeper centile podcast on anchor um, really nice guy and a really good podcast by the way if you haven't checked it out you really should I'm very late to that party and I kind of kicked myself for being late listening it's never too late to start start the beginning work through his back catalogue because it's all good anyway Dave is probably referring to GM's Journal episode 21 the last of this series which aired uh, well just a couple of days ago and in which I did do, I did share like the first five or so minutes of me randomly rolling up a dungeon using random dungeon tables. Dave, what I'm going to do, um, just because you asked, and you know, I don't know if anyone else will care, but I'm going to stick it on the Patreon. So for anyone who who basically goes on there, they will be able to get access to that particular file. And Dave, I'm going to make it open to anybody. So don't even have to pay money, you know. Don't even have to throw a dollar in for the month. It's there, ready for free download. I'll try and get it up as soon as I've got this episode finished. Um, it's going to be raw. It's going to be uncut. It's going to be horrible. But hey, it'll be there for you if you're interested. In, and of course, for anyone else that's interested. Anyway, Dave, really looking forward to your next episode. And really looking forward to speaking to you soon. Because, you know... Oh no, better not say anything actually, had I? Better not spoil anything season four. Thanks, Dave. All the best. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this final episode of Roleplay Rescue Season 3. Yes, it is the last one. And I hope you enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Steve Robinson, Andy Whitaker, and Andy Cope for inspiring this episode. And to the Angry GM for feeding my general understanding of role-playing games. 
Thank you also to the amazing Royal Play Rescue patrons who support the show through their generous donations and encouraging words. And thank you too, the listener, for grabbing this episode and giving it a listen. And that brings me to the question of what's next. Well, there will be a fourth season. For now, I'm going to take a week or two out for a break before I launch into creating more episodes. It's pretty much the summer holidays and I'm absolutely shattered. Perhaps this is a good chance for anyone who has a good idea for an episode topic to either call in or use the regular contact methods to let me know your suggestions. Whatever, I really hope that you have a really great time at the gaming table and thank you once again for listening. I'm Che Webster. I'll be back soon, I promise with another season of Roleplay Rescue. Game on. Congratulations on hitting 20 patrons. Woohoo!